0: pope arrives in town he flies into new york city another one of those things flies into new york city he's got a place to go he hails a cab the cab pulls up he says where he wants to go the cab he says there's no way that i can get you there on time he says well here's a hundred dollars or he probably said well here's a hundred dollars and, and uh, he goes no i still can't get you there on time there's no way it'd be too dangerous to drive at the kind of speed that we would need to drive to, to get to where you want to go at the time that you need to be there it's just too dangerous well how about a two hundred dollars he goes, no, I can't do it. He goes, well, how about $300? And at that, the cab driver says, look, if, you're gonna, if you want me to drive that dangerous, you want me to drive that fast, well, then you give me $300, you drive, and I'll just sit in the back. So he goes, okay. So the Pope gets in. He's driving 60 miles an hour, 75 miles an hour, 85 miles an hour through the city of Manhattan, going zigzag in and out of traffic. Finally, as you can imagine, he gets pulled over by a policeman. The policeman walks up to the, to the driver's window, asks the Pope for his driver's license, he hands him his ID. He reads it. He goes running back to the police car to call in the dispatcher. He says, hey, Mac, you're not going to believe this, but I just pulled over somebody really big. He goes, really big? He goes, yeah, really big. So, well, who is it? He goes, I don't know who he is, but he's got the Pope driving for him. <laughs> some things, you just, you know, they just, you just miss some things, you know what I mean, unless you really stop and think about it. Anyway, one of the things that we missed that I thought about this week, um, among uh, those other gems of observation, was that uh, we've been talking about stress, and we've been talking about the problem of stress, and the things that cause stress, and we've been going through all that, and, and how do you stand firm in a very stressful world? And, uh, and we saw the answer, the answer was to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not to lean on our own understanding but in all of our ways everything that we do to acknowledge him that he's in control and he'll direct our paths that was the essence of everything that we talked about the foundation of uh, dealing with stress in our life was to trust in the Lord and uh, one of the things that I began to realize is if you stop and think about it let me ask you this what's the opposite of trust distrust <laughs> no no I, I know someone jumped right on that one and I was like oh, i got to go a little further than that it's like ask my kids to define words you know and they use the same word to define it and you know you've always had teachers say, never define the word with the word okay fine so what okay trust on one side fear anxiety what would be i mean anxiety what's it mean to be anxious for something to worry about it why because on one hand, you've got, God says to trust him. On the other hand, basically what he's saying is, if, if you don't trust me and you worry about it, then it's a good sign that you're not trusting God. So basically what we want to do is we want to talk about that a little bit, and that is that, you know, how do you stand firm when worried? And the answer is, you can't. And so basically it should be, but I didn't have enough room to put it on the overhead. Is to stand firm. How do you stand firm on what God says when you're tempted to worry? When you're tempted not to trust Him and you're tempted to kind of figure out some way to handle it on your own. In Matthew chapter 6, you've got your Bibles. Turn with me for a moment to Matthew 6, verse 25. See, because really the, the opposite of trust is worry but we've become so adept at not allowing other people to know whether we're worried about something or not that we have all kind of created names creative names for what it means to worry. In Matthew chapter 6 starting with verse 25, we're going to take a look at a passage that deals specifically with everything that we've been talking about. This is the opposite of how not to deal with stress in your life. If if you're trying If you're worrying about anything, you're not going to be able to deal with the problem. And so Jesus says in verse 25, for this reason, and uh, we'll tie it together with the, the rest of the passage, but he says in this particular point, he says, For this reason, I say to you, don't be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. After all, is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not worth much more than they? Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, Well, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all of these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself, and each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Question for you. How do you know if you're worried about something? How do you know if you're not if you're not trusting God in that specific area of your life, how do you know objectively, how can you measure whether or not you're worried about it versus trusting God in that area? How do you know? Okay, it consumes a lot of your time. And in what way? Okay, mentally, it consumes a lot of your time. Um, It's the kind of thing where you're always thinking about it. You're always thinking about it. Okay, it's almost obsessive when you get right down to it. it, it it's one of those, it's a, it's a thought that is continually coming back to you over and over again. doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. doesn't matter what's going on. doesn't matter what other distractions there are in your life. When you begin to worry or be anxious for something, that particular problem, it just dominates all of your thoughts. All of your waking thoughts. Not only your waking thoughts, but it's the kind of thing you even have dreams about and you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it again. And so what happens is we can sit here together and I can look at, you know, your face and not really tell whether you're here or not. And, you know, we've all been there and we've all done that. And, you know, I've got a friend of mine who used to do isometrics in church. And, uh, you know, it's great because you don't have to really do anything. You just kind of go. You know, and, and... if I saw that much activity out of some of you, I'd just kind of praise God and we'd go on from there. <laughs> so that'd be a step in the right direction. So you might want to consider that as an alternative. But uh, you don't know. I mean, you can look around. You don't know. I mean, look around. Look around. Go ahead. Look at each other. What do you see? No, no you're even afraid to do it. It's so funny. It's like, oh, look, look around. No, seriously. I mean, you look around. Tell me. Somebody look around. Stand, you, Lou, stand up. Look over look over here with me. No, seriously, stand up here. Who do you think's worried about something? Here, right? <laughs> My wife. She's always worried. She's worried about you saying You're something up. to get yourself in trouble. Right, right. That's what you you see <laughs> anybody? They look worried back there. They look a little worried back like there. The ones yeah. at the back. Yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I, couldn't, I can't really tell. But if you look around, look around. You tell me who's worried. Huh? I'm worried. Yeah, I'm worried I got on too early and I got some time to kill. No, seriously, I mean, you look around. You can't tell. I can't tell who's worried. I can't tell who's here. I can see you, but I don't know whether you're here or not. And that, becomes, and that, and that really is the problem when we, when we get in an environment like this. Because we're here to learn, we're here to make application of the things that we learn, and yet I can't control whether we're going to do that or not. All I can do is present it. So what I want right now is, and and, and here's what you've got to ask yourself, am I so distracted by something now that I can't even pay attention for the next few minutes that we're together to deal with what it is that's causing me to be distracted? See what what, what a kind of catch-22 it is? You know, we come because we want help we come because we need we need advice in certain areas of our life but yet in this particular area when we're worried about something we're so distracted and worried about it we can't even hear what the counsel or advice is to deal with it and so i got to bring it to your attention because if you don't understand it then you're going to miss it so if you're worried about it identify it right now and say you know what i never thought about it but i keep thinking about this one thing over and over and over and over again and by the definition I'm worried about it. And here the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Well, how can I do that? It says, trust the Lord in all, with all your heart, in every way, in everything. And yet here I am, I'm sitting there listening to somebody tell me I'm supposed to trust the Lord in everything and not worry about anything. And I'm not trusting Him in this because I'm worried about it and I can't be trusting Him. And if I'm worried, if I'm worried, I'm not trusting. If I'm trusting, I'm not even thinking about it. So if I'm trusting him in areas of my life, I'm not even thinking about it right now. It doesn't even bother me. It doesn't even get to me. Because I don't even know that he's handling it for me. He's got it taken care of. And so as Jesus approaches this whole subject, he gives us some arguments that he gives us against worry. And basically, there's five of them. And they're in this passage, and they're as clear as day. And as we go through them, you'll begin to pick them up. But, but what I want to try to do is that in Proverbs 14, 13, it says, Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain. And the end of joy may be grief. And one of the things that I have learned over a period of time is that so many of us have become so good at putting on a mask. Hey, how are you doing today? Ah, oh, I'm doing great, thanks. And meanwhile, you're worried about a million things that are just ripping you up on the inside. Put the mask on on the outside, smile, do the cordial hellos, how you've been, How's your week, how's it going, have a nice day, have a nice week. And yet we're getting torn up on the inside. By things that are real going on in our life, and the Bible warns us that that's a, a very real possibility. And so, what we do is we play the favorite game. I'm not really worried about anything. I'm concerned. Oh, that's good. This whole section is concerned. <laughs> and you guys didn't even jump in on anything here. Okay, I'm concerned. I'm. Um, I'm not worried about it. Um. Uh, what i'm devastated by it <laughs> i'm beyond worry i'm devastated that's, I mean, hey, and that's exactly where we end up going right i love it that's great so as you go through this thing you know we play the game but the reality of it is if we're distracted by it what are some of the things that we worry about kids oh yeah we're going to talk about it kids and then somebody said finances same answer. It <laughs> goes hand in hand, right? It's all part of it. It goes together. What does the world worry about? War. Yeah, we'll talk to you in a second. How about war? How about death? You know, stop and think about this for a minute. Death. It's kind of the three Ds. I'm going gonna, gonna to share with you the three Ds, okay? The first thing that I notice most people worry about is death. People are afraid to die. And let me just tell you something. That is a compassionate God who is placed in the heart of every one of us. A need or a desire to know the God who made us. See, people can never say God is not compassionate because the way I see it is this. Every day that God gives us while we are here on this earth is another day that He has allowed us to make the choice of choosing to reject Him or to accept Him into our life. You can't get much more compassion than that. And so what it is is God's way of saying, look, are you afraid to die? That's good. I've placed that fear in your life for a very good reason. And that is that it is an alarm or an alert system that I've placed into your life. For you to know that you're not right with me. And every day that I give you is another opportunity to get right. Death. I don't know anybody who's not afraid to die. And the way we deal with this kind of stuff is now it's, it's a recurring but it's nothing new. We deal with it reincarnation. We, hear it, we see it in the movies. We, we read about it all the time. We, we hear it's the, you know, it's the latest craze. We've got actors and actresses who promote it. And very, Why do you think they promote it? Look, if I'm coming back again, then what do I got to worry about? Right? But the Bible says it's appointed unto man to die once, then comes judgment. See, here's the reality of the flip side of that. Oh, if I only hear once and I die and then I'm accountable and I'll be judged by God, then that forces me to make some decisions in life that I don't want to make. And I'd rather keep living to please myself and ignore or deny the existence of God. And the way I'll be able to do it is somehow and rationalize in my own mind that when I die it doesn't matter. I'm going to come back and I have to do it all over again. And And the question that I ask is, well, when do you stop doing this? you just do it forever? And the reality of that is, even that doesn't bring them peace in their life. They may rationalize and justify it, but you get right down to it and you continue to confront them on it. And there's an uneasiness and they walk away thinking, man, you know what, this is a crock what I believe. But it's getting me through, you know. I I, I can at least try to enjoy some of the things that I'm doing and hope that I'm not accountable to anybody bigger than me. And so people are afraid of death and that's good. I'd be scared to death. Of death. A good reason for it. Unless you've got your right, life right with God, you ought got to be scared to die because it's appointed for man to die once and then you will be judged for whether you've accepted or rejected Jesus Christ. Number two, disobedience. People are worried, afraid, because of disobedience. If we are accountable to God, and the Bible says we are, and then if that's true we have choices to make, which we do, and we can make right choices, which is God's way of doing it, or wrong choices, which is our own free will to do it. If we are disobedient to God, that means we are also accountable to God, and we are also accountable for his, to be judged by God. And so what happens is, when you are disobedient before God, we begin to worry about things in life, such as, will I get caught? If I do get caught, how bad will it hurt? You know, I mean, all of us have grown up that way. I mean, I don't know any little kid that says, If I get caught doing this, I just wonder how bad it's going to hurt. But it's still a free, free choice that we have to decide whether or not the temporary pleasure is worth the uh, long-range consequences. And God is no different. He says, I give you a choice, but I guarantee you that if you do what's wrong, it's going to hurt. Now, how bad it hurts is up to God and up to the mercy of God, how bad he wants to discipline us. And that's up to him. And he can do anything that he wants to do. he wants to just hammer on you, he can hammer on you. If he wants to cut me some slack, he'll cut me some slack. But there's still judgment involved. And so as we go through it, that's the second thing. Death, disobedience. And the third thing is just daily problems. And that's what I want to concentrate on today. Daily problems. Dealing with your kids. Has anyone seen the Father of the Bride? Uh, do you remember this line? Here's the line. His wife tells him, you know, relax, don't worry about it. And he said this, I'm a dad, I'm supposed to worry, it comes with the territory. (laughs) Remember that? That's a great line. And that's exactly, it's like, I'm a dad, I'm supposed to worry, it comes with the territory. And so we worry about our kids. What else do you worry about? Somebody said job. Worry about losing a job. You know, know, the public, the, the opinion polls and surveys and stuff, how many people are afraid to lose their job in the next six months? You know, and 60-some percent of people that respond say, I'm afraid of losing it myself or someone that I know losing their job. Okay, daily problems. Afraid of business problems. Afraid of uh, finances. I don't know. I mean, what are you afraid of? There's a million things to be afraid of and to worry about. But Jesus says this, don't worry about any of them. And you go, well, it's easy for him to say. <laughs> hey. He doesn't have any problems. He's God. <laughs> you know, it's a kind of that, that kind of an attitude. So what we're going to do is we'll take a look at five arguments against worry. And uh, after uh, he's done explaining this to us, um, we'll, we'll see if, you know, you can still feel good about it. Number one, isn't, it, isn't this the truth? Worry keeps you from enjoying life. Worry keeps you from enjoying life. Verse 24 and 25. No one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? What's the underlying problem or the underlying cause of worry, according to what Jesus said? What are we worried about? Pardon me? Self? In what way? Specifically, you're right, but specifically, he names something that many people are concerned about. Concerned, bothered, anxious, worried about. Food and clothing. says, hey, but but there's something that that underlines it even before we get to it. Because look what he says. Verse 25 begins, therefore. Anytime you see it, you've got to ask, what's it there for? Therefore what? What's he talking about? What's it there for? Yeah, look what he says beforehand. You can't serve both God and money. See, the underlying root problem of our worries in this particular context is very simple. It's money. Don't have enough of it. Never have enough of it. Always need more. Isn't that the truth? How many say amen? <laughs> yeah. And how many of our worries are founded upon that simple premise? We don't have enough money. We've got more months than money. You know? Isn't that true? And as you look at it, Jesus said this, Well, wait a minute. Here's where we're running into a problem. You'll never have enough money if it's money that you think is going to provide all the answers to everything in life. If all of your worries revolve around money, you'll never have enough money. Ah, if I just win the lottery. Ah, if I just get this next contract. Ah, if I just got this new job. Ah, if I just got this raise. Every one of my problems in life will be resolved. And it's so funny, and what's so ironic is, that you and I both know, for the most part, if you stop and think about it, how much money, when you were growing up, if you had that, would have been enough to answer all of your life's problems. And of course, as a child growing up, you don't take into consideration cost of living indexes and inflation and things of that nature. So, you know, here's a kid thinking, oh, man, a hundred bucks a month. Man, my, my, I mean, my, my 12 years old, my son, if he had a hundred bucks a month, he, he'd, he'd be set for life. <laughs> and, he, and, you know, and if I gave it to him, he'd probably even give us a percentage to take care of his mom and me for, our, for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Dad, I'll take care of you. Well, to him, it's like, that's enough. I told you a story about the guy that played for the Rams uh, that uh, was making $385,000 a year. And when a friend of his who played on the same team said, Hey, Mel, I mean, how much, how much money do you want? And because and, he was talking about buying lottery tickets. He said, Mel, what are you buying lottery tickets for? He goes, man, if I won the lottery, I'd be set for life. He said, Mel, how much money are you making now? And he knew. He said, well, 385. He said, 385? He said, man, let me ask you something. How many people do you know in your life, in your family, in your friends that make $385,000 a year? He goes, well, I think I make more than everybody I know. That's probably why they're always calling me for money. (laughs) He said, well, what makes you think that winning the lottery is going to solve all the problems that you have in life? And he just kind of walked away, scratched his head, and went, huh, that's a good point. But I sure hope I win. (laughs) You know, we're all like that. And what Jesus was saying was, wait a minute. And and the reason for it is, why? Why? Ask yourself the question. Why do I need more money? I'm worried about what? What's he saying? Why do we want money? For stuff. If I had more money, I'd get more stuff. Right? What do you want? What do you want right now? If somebody just came and said, how much money do you want? Here it is, I'll give it to you. What would you do with it? I'd buy myself some stuff. <laughs> what kind of stuff? Good stuff. Not just good stuff. I'd buy better stuff. Better stuff, because I already got stuff. Because there's, there's good stuff, better stuff, and the best stuff. I was in the Home Depot, and it's kind of like, you know, they got it set up for just, you know, anybody could walk in there and think that they could be a contractor, and <laughs> including me. I'm walking in there. I can do anything now. I mean, because why? Because you walk down this aisle, it says, these are good switches. These are better switches. These are the best switches. And there's not much big price difference between it. thinking, switches, best switch in our house you know it's like but they do that with everything you know and it's almost like if you just go to the the good stuff you gotta make sure you know I tell my wife hey stand at the end and make sure no one sees me getting just the good switches it's kind of, it's just, it's a, you know it's just a, a thing you know it's a social stigma to go into the good switch aisle there you know and pick that up and what it is is we want more stuff how much stuff do you got? garage is full of it and I'll bet that's true you're the kind of guy that's going to get even with all his kids, aren't you? When you check out, they're going to come over like dumpsters and stuff, you know? That's what my grandfather did after, you know, all of his life, he wanted to get even with his relatives. He kept everything. The guy dies, he's got a house full of junk. I mean, I, 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 it was like, you know, by I telling you the story of Tijuana, you know, the, the universal garage sale capital of the world, I swear that's where he got his building plans on what he was doing dumpsters full of it stuff man we just keep it how many of you cleaned out your closets recently we're we're kinda doing some remodeling in our house you know so we had to take all the stuff out of the garage and find a place to put the stuff but it was all stuff that you can't get rid of even though we didn't even know what was in the boxes you ever do that it's like what's in this box I don't know well let's not even look and throw it away or let's not even look and just donate it to someone you know and they can open it and go Oh, look at this, you know, good stuff for a change. Um, but, and, and you know how you do that. And so what, we, what did we do? We moved it to another area of the house. This is unbelievable. Clothing. I mean, st- stuff like that. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. You're all worked up. You're worried about whether you're going to have enough money to buy more stuff. And you got more stuff than you know what to do with. What's it take to get that across? You got clothes? Why do you need new new clothes? Hang on to that leisure suit, it's coming back. (laughs) It all comes back. We'll all be wearing leisure suits and stuff, you know. Problem is, it won't fit, but you might be able to find somebody else in here you can give it to. But think about it, this stuff all comes back. It kind of like it doesn't go away. Man, I used to be embarrassed to go to school with ripped jeans, right? He said the big iron-on patches, you know, he put on those things, try to hide it, put them on the inside, you know, so no one knows. Now that people buy them ripped up. It's like, and I got rid of all those. See, this stuff just comes back. Long sideburns are coming back. I mean, styles change. Why? Because we're so obsessed with the outer appearance. We're so obsessed with the outside that we don't deal with the inside. So we worry about keeping up with the Joneses or whomever. We want more money so we can get more stuff. And you already got more stuff than you know what to do with. So why don't you just relax and stop worrying about it. And then he goes on and he says, hey, you know what? Isn't life more than food and clothes? Isn't there more to life than that? I mean, do we have to be so obsessed and so worried about that type of thing that we cannot enjoy life? I like what that monk said in that Nebraska monastery after his line of, I would eat, and I missed this because I got hung up on the I'd eat more ice cream and less beans. But he said, I'd eat more ice cream. And less beans. He said, you know what, I would have more actual problems and fewer imaginary ones. I like that. I'd have more actual problems and fewer imaginary ones. Thomas Carlyle was a Scottish essayist. And he built a chamber in his home into which he would go to write his books. And this is a true story. He built this room to be as noise-proof as possible. And he enjoyed the quiet solitude that came with the room. He said, however, a disturbing thing happened one night. A neighbor of mine had a rooster that began to crow and did so each night. Finally, in frustration, I went to my neighbor's home to complain and I told him, your rooster is driving me mad with its crowing. My neighbor responded, but he only crows two or three times a night at most and only for a few moments. I answered him, yes, but you don't realize what happens each night as I wait for that thing to crow. will a crow now or will a crow later I told you a few months ago about our neighbors from hell that moved in next door to us (laughs) and I was reminded of this as as my wife would jump out of bed fifteen times a night and run to the window to see what was going on now and I just lay there and it's kinda like unless you see him coming over with a torch (laughs) or a gun don't bother me and we're always worried about what are they going to do next. And I don't know if you've got neighbors like that, where you're always worried about what's going to happen next. But see, when you're distracted to the point where they dominate your thoughts and you can't enjoy life, Jesus is saying, man, you're not trusting me. You're worrying about it. You're distracted about it. And isn't there more to life than worrying about those things? Just relax and enjoy it. And then he goes on and he says, And the reason that I want you to do it is very simple. That worry keeps you from realizing your worth. He asks a very simple question. Look up at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Worry keeps you from realizing your worth before God. What's the point? What's the point that he's making? For the people who like to worry, they say, well, it's easy, you know, it'd be a lot easier to feed the birds. I mean, shoot, if my kids ate like birds, it'd be a lot easier for me to feed them, right? I mean, they don't. But what's he saying? You know, think about it from your own standpoint. What is he trying to say to you? Hey, Look around. Look around. If I'll take care of the universe, and I'll take care of the animals, and I got it all worked out, how much more do you think that I'll take care of you, whom I've made in my image and in my likeness, and for whom I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you? How much more does God care about us than he does about all the animals in the universe? How much more does He care about me? How insulting it is for me to believe that He doesn't care about my job situation. How insulting it is for me to believe that He doesn't care about taking care of my wife and my kids. How insulting that is of God for me to question or challenge whether He loves me enough to take care of me. And he's saying for God demonstrated his love to us and yet while we were sinners he sent Christ to die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How much more could God love you? Can I ask you that question? i got to ask myself the same thing. How much more could God love me than what he's already done for me in Jesus Christ? Man, I'll tell you what. You almost have to get down on your knees and ask for forgiveness. Some of us need to. We're worrying about whether God loves us when he's demonstrated so vividly and so accurately how much he does. And he even brings that out in Matthew chapter 7. If you still got your Bibles open, look at chapter 7, verse 7. It says this, Well, you know what? If asked, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. And knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You have not because you ask not. Now, I'm not saying you name it, you claim it, he'll give you anything that you want. But I also want to go to the other side of the, the, the coin and say, how many of us don't have because we've never spent any time asking? We're struggling with all these things. We're worried about all this stuff. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. If you're worried and distracted right now about something going on in your life, let me ask you a silly question. When was the last time you prayed about it? When was the last time you asked God to intervene? When was the last time you said, Lord, hey, you can do anything. I know that. I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know you care about what's going on. You tell me to cast all my cares upon you and that you'll care for me. And that's exactly what I want to do. You told me to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to relax and trust you and know that my fate is in your hands trusting That's what it's all about. Knowing my fate is in his hands and saying, that's fine with me. When was the last time you asked about it? What are you worried about? When was the last time you talked to God about it? And what his point is, is very simple. Hey, you know what? We try to be good parents with our children, and we try to do what's best for them. And his point is very simple. How much more would a perfect God be able to give to his children? He'd give you anything that he knows is going to be best for you. See, sometimes I don't even know what's best for my kids. I think I'm doing what's right, and I, and I don't really know if I am or not. And as it turns out, maybe I'm not doing what's right. Maybe I'm doing something that's detrimental tr- detrimental to them because I'm too emotionally involved and I'm giving them things that they should be earning or, or I'm not teaching them things that they need to understand. And so I think that I'm doing what's right and I'm really not doing what's right and this point is very simple. Hey, guess what? If you can eliminate that doubt factor from your relationship with your kids and everything that you did was right and perfect, how much more so do you think I'll be able to do for you? I know what's best for you. There's nothing going on in your life that I'm not allowing because I know what's best for you. But you know what? You need to ask me about something things we need to discuss some things and maybe it's just a matter of hey you need to be humble and you need to realize that i'm on the throne that i'm in control and i'm in charge and you better stop trying to do everything yourself and it's time that you realize that and you know what and you're going to be distracted and worried and bothered and up late at night and, and distracted everywhere that you go about this thing in your life until you finally recognize you can't do anything and turn it over to me allow me to do it so i can show you that i am god and then you know what happens then you have to give them all the credit Because you already realized you couldn't fix it yourself and you had to turn it over to him. And when he fixes it, you go, whoops. God, thank you. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know he's actively involved in my life. Because look what he's just done again. See, that's why it says worry keeps you from realizing your worth. I don't know why sometimes we believe that if God just gave us more, that we would be somehow or another worth more. He's given us his best in the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. We need to realize that. Number three, third reason is very simple. Worry is completely useless. That's about as good an argument as you're going to get. Why worry if it's not going to do anything? Matthew 6, 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? In this particular case, it's talking about the length of time that we're here on earth. Think about it for a second. The world worries about dying. Why in the world should we be worried about dying when we know this? For it is appointed for man to die. And then comes judgment. Now stop and think about this for a second. What does that mean to you? It is appointed for me to die. I'm sketched in on the daytimer. I know what day it's going to be, as God's saying. I don't. He hasn't given me a glimpse of that, and I'm glad that He hasn't because, I, you know, it's like anything. You know, if He said, okay, you know, on February 23rd, I'm calling you out of here. Oh, February 23rd. Man, but I got so much stuff to do before then. You know what I mean? Or and maybe we'd get our house in order. That'd be good, too. So it's even nice sometimes when we get a better feel for how long we're going to be here because we do all the things that everybody else puts off and never gets done and then they're gone and it's like, oh man, they had unfinished business. So we need to plan each day as if today may be the day that the Lord comes back or he calls us home. And enjoy it. Think about it for a second. Why worry about what tomorrow's going to happen, what's going to happen tomorrow if today's your last day? Wouldn't you hate to know that, hey, you're going to die at 5 o'clock and you've wasted all afternoon worrying about something that's going to happen next week that you don't have to deal with? (laughs) it's <laughs> like hey who cares I'm out of here at 5 <laughs> hey and you know what if you got a relationship with the Lord and if you know Jesus Christ if you've asked him as your personal savior then you don't have to worry about dying Paul said "Absent from the body present with the Lord for me to, to, to live as Christ to die as gain I can't wait to go but until I go I'm going to be here and do what God asked me to do but I can't wait to leave either so you don't have to worry about dying. It's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. As we look around, it even gets better and better every day, huh? Amen. Hallelujah. You know, it's so funny the way it is. You know, things get tough and we're all praying for Jesus to come back or we're praying to die. But, but uh, when, when things are, you know, going, quote, good and everything's flowing okay, it's like, well, that's the furthest thing from our mind. Isn't that sad? Hey, man, there's nothing good enough on this earth to want me to stay here any longer than I have to. But for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So what he says is this. Why worry about it? You can't change the hour that you're going to die. Now, think this through. It may mean you still have to wear your seatbelt. You know what I mean? It may mean you still have to be careful and cautious to some degree. But what I'm trying to get across is that it doesn't matter whether you wear a seatbelt or not. If that's the day that's appointed for you to die, you're going to go. And our problem is we don't know when that is. So we need to do everything that is prudent, and everything prudent, <laughs> everything prudent, everything cautious, everything that's right, but just realize that beyond that, it's in God's hands so you can relax. See, we talk about worrying about our kids. Hey, you know what? Man, I hate when my daughter goes out. And lay in bed, and you talk about distracted by things, it's like, you know, Every noise you hear, every car you pull, is it her? she back? Whatever. I, you know, I don't like any of that. But then I begin to realize that, you know what? She's in God's hands. We have to teach her. We have to train her. We have to tell her to be careful. We have to say all those things. Those are the right things to say. Be careful. Drive careful. Wear your seatbelt. Do that. Don't do that. Those are all good things. The right things to say. But once it goes beyond that, I have no control over anything else. And how silly it is to worry about everything that's God's responsibility. He said, Chuck, you do your part, I'll do my part. That's the way it works. We work hand in hand. It's a great relationship. We got people who worry about everything in life they can't control. They worry about the families that they were born into. Hey, can't control that. We got people who worry about what skin color they are. Hey, good luck. Can't control that. We got people who worry about what sex they are. So what? Say so try to change that. You know. We've got people that are trying to change things they have no control over. We've got people who are upset because they're 7 foot and other people are upset because they're 5 foot. There are things that we have no control over. And it's an insult to God to ridicule people who are different than us over things that God has designed them to be if you're white, if you're black, if you're seven feet, if you're five feet if you're, if you're red hair, if you're blonde hair, if you've got freckles, if you don't the best story I ever heard in my life was, was told by a man who had a big birthmark on the, his face it went from the top of his forehead all the way down through his face on this side of his cheek big red birthmark all his life he went through life with kids making fun of his birthmark they made fun of him they ridiculed him they teased him They just try to destroy his life. And early on, he came home as a kindergartner and he was crying to his dad. And he said, Dad, they're making fun of me at school. He said, Why are they making fun of you? He said, They're making fun of this big red dot on my face. He said, That big red dot? They're making fun of that? Do you realize that that big red dot is where God sent one of his angels to kiss you on the face? To make you realize every time that you saw that, how much God loved you and how special you were. That he loved you enough to send one of his angels to kiss you on the face right before you were born. As a reminder from God how important and special you are. This guy told this story later in life. And he said, you know what? He said, that story my dad told me made me realize how much God loved me. And that there were things about me that I could not change, nor did I ever want to change. Because God made me the way that I am. That I'm special, that I'm unique, that I'm unique in the sight of God. And every time someone would make fun of that, I said, well, what's the matter? Didn't God send an angel to kiss you on the face like he did me? He said, and these kids would go home going, hey, mom. (laughs) Why didn't an angel kiss me like they kissed Tommy? And he turned that thing and he made it into something positive to teach a a stereotypical, bigoted, prejudiced society that we live in. That there are things in life that are not our fault, nor our responsibility to change, but we accept them because that's who God has made us. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'll tell you what, you want to have your kids... Deal with that and handle it. You tell them how much God loved them. And you tell them how special they are. And whatever they think their weakness is, you turn it into something that's a blessing from God. And that'll change their whole attitude and idea of being made fun of at school. They'll no longer look at it as being, I wish I could change. They would look at it and say, gee, that's a shame that no one else has the blessings that God has given me. What a wonderful thought. And it goes hand in hand with this. Worry erases the promises of God from our minds. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And the point is very simple. He said, hey, why are you worrying about stuff that God knows that we need? Why are you worrying about things that God knows that we need? He knows we've got to eat. He knows we've got to have clothes. He knows we've got to have shelter. It's not an, it's not an, I, I don't think the problem is meeting our needs. It's always been a problem of God meeting our greeds. See, we live in a society that we are the most blessed nation in the world. And all you've got to do is travel a little bit. And you realize and you can't wait to get home. And how sad it is that a lot of us are isolated from that. But we don't have to drive very far. Some of us are afraid to drive into certain neighborhoods with the cars that we have. What I'd suggest you do, park your car somewhere and just walk the streets. And you laugh. I'm serious. I am dead serious. And I'll tell you why, because we live in a little isolated world. We have friends who are like us. We have uh, friends that we hang out who are like us. We visit houses that are like ours. And if they're not like ours and they have more than us, then we'll make sure that we do what we can to make sure we get what they have to put in our house. You know, we isolate ourselves from the problems of the world, and we begin to realize that, and we begin to believe mistakenly that somehow we're deprived, and that we need more. And what I say is, let's all take a field trip. Let's rent a bus and let's drive to some parts of the city where people have far less than we do. And then we'll all get back on the bus and we'll ask God to forgive us. And we'll ask him to adjust our attitudes and to change our mind toward those who have less than we do. And then as he blesses us with more things, we'll begin to realize that the purpose is to be able to share with those who don't so that we can lead them to Jesus Christ. And we'll get this whole thing back in focus again. I think it would be a wonderful thing to do but I bet you we wouldn't have a whole bunch of sign ups because we want to sit in our own little world and pity ourselves to think that somehow or another we're depraved, deprived, we are depraved, <laughs> man it's the little I versus an A, boy it changes the whole word there doesn't it? And, and, and somehow we think we don't have enough, God help us to understand that God will meet our needs but he's not going to meet our greeds at the expense of our relationship with him and at the expense of how we should look at other people. How many of you would like to do that? Man, I'll tell you what, I realized that walking through Tijuana a couple weeks ago. I walked out of there just saying, Lord, thank you. Not only thank you, but I walked out of there saying, Lord, why? Why have you done for us what you've done? Why have you brought me from where I came from to where I am now, and you know what? The only answer comes back because I'm a great guy. No, i just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding yeah. I was getting a little heavy here. I'm starting to feel it. No, you know why? Because <laughs> I am depraved. Yes, and it's very simple. Because he's chosen to do so for his purposes and for his glory, and hopefully. So that I will always be sensitive to that truth. Hopefully I'll learn something from it. Hopefully I'll share it with other people. Hopefully I won't forget where God has brought me from. I mean, you know, why does he do what he does? Because he's God. And he chooses to do what he does for his goodwill and for his pleasure. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I thank him for it. And I ask him, what can I do in return? That's what it's all about. If God's blessed you, don't feel guilty about it. That's wonderful. But you need to ask, what does God require of you too? Much is given, much is expected. So, don't try to write off the responsibility side. We need to understand what that is. And then the last thing, and very simple rebuke, is that worry is characteristic of a non-believer and not the Christian. Matthew six thirty-two. For the pagans run after all these things. Those who don't believe run after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Man, what a rebuke, huh? You know what he's saying? Hey, non-believers should worry. They should worry about everything. Because they don't know who's in control. They don't know who's in charge. They don't know who the boss is. They think they're the captains of their own fate, or ship. Masters of their own fate keep getting these little things and just kind of give it. But that's what they think. And so they've got to handle everything themselves. They don't know that they've got a God who loves them. They don't know that they can turn to Him. They don't know they can cast all their cares upon Him. They don't know that it's appointed for them to die. They don't know that God's in control. They're trying to figure it all out. And what a rebuke it is for God to say to you and I who know that God's in control, who know that God is the master of our fate, who know that God knows the day that we're going to die, who knows that God knows that He's going to meet all of our needs, who's already demonstrated and proven it, and yet we're lumped in there with non-Christians who don't know any of that and He's saying how ridiculous it is for you who have already have a relationship with God and have already tasted, tasted His grace and His goodness, who have already benefited from who He is and know that He's in control, how ridiculous it is for you to be in the same situation as those who don't know him, worrying about everything in life. What a rebuke that is. How sad that is. Worry is characteristic of a non-believer and not the Christian. You and I have nothing to worry about because our God is still in control. There's the five arguments. Next time we get together, we'll take a look at, well, that's five good reasons not to do something. Now, the problem is, as I see it, most of us worry anyway. Good arguments against it or not. So what we'll do next time is, well, how do you overcome worry? So you can sit down and you can tell people, here's 10 reasons not to have sex outside of marriage. Here's 10 reasons not to do drugs. Here's 10 reasons not to drink. And all of that is great, and they're all valid, and they be even accurate. But if somebody's already doing these things, it doesn't answer how to overcome that way of life. And so what Jesus tells us is, hey, here's five reasons not to worry. And then what we'll look at is other biblical explanations as to, okay, I'm a worrying type of person. How can I overcome that character flaw in my life? That's what we'll do next week. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity once again just to look at your word and how clear it is that uh, you tell us not to worry that uh, the, the root or the foundation of many of the things that we worry about is simply a desire for more things more money for more things and how, how obvious it should be by now for most of us that things don't provide contentment in life they just kind of whet the appetite never enough always want more always want something new always want something better always want something bigger always want what somebody else has instead of enjoying that which you've already blessed us with How silly it is, how easy it is to see it and yet we continue to walk out of here worrying about all these things. You tell us that we shouldn't worry that uh, you're in control, that you've already demonstrated that control and that we have no right to worry like those who don't know you. That It's insulting to worry about whether you'll take care of us when we're far more valuable than everything else that you've created in the universe and you demonstrate on a regular basis your care and your concern the fact that our planet just doesn't go off into orbit is a demonstration of how much you care about us and even all these things are true the greatest sign or demonstration of your life was giving us your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to shed his blood as payment for our sin That even though we didn't deserve it, and even though there's nothing good in us, and that we are all depraved, for all of us have sinned and fall short of your glory. You tell us that you loved us enough, you demonstrated it by sending your son to die for us. And that all we need to do is believe that and accept that, and you promise us an eternity with you. For it's by grace that you save us, through faith and not of ourselves, it's a gift of yours. Lest any of us should ever boast. God help us to realize that. Help us to realize that uh, worry is the opposite of trust, that if we're distracted and discouraged about something in our life that we need to go to you, we need to pray about it, we need to trust you and just turn it over to you. Doing all the things that are our responsibility but at that particular point turning over the results into your hand. And we just thank you that you can bring peace into our life in a very troubled and turmoiled world, a world that's looking for answers in all the wrong places. And as your people, may we be a light to demonstrate that you are trustworthy, that you can bring peace in the middle of difficulty, that you can restore families and homes and businesses and lives, and that you do care about individuals as well as nations. And we just thank you and praise you for what you can do as we just trust you. In Christ's name, amen.